So I'm joined today by Dennis Ivey. Dennis is a Python developer, has made an amazing YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers, and he also sold the website to his own company for $41,000. So it's really awesome to have Dennis on board today. So how's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me, Pete. Yeah, no worries. Hey, you run like a really successful YouTube channel. You've actually like helped me a lot with learning Django in the past. So it's really cool to have you on. So, but yeah, maybe you can tell people, how did you get started with coding originally? I actually was developing websites before I ever coded. So right out of like high school, I was, uh, I was kind of doing odd jobs. Like I went to college while I was still in high school, just trying to make sure my dad was happy because he really wanted me to get educated. That was just what he wanted for me. And I did that just to kind of get that over with. But once I was out of high school, I was done like college. It was, you know, I took the basic classes but uh, I didn't really have anything that I wanted to stick around for. So I just took off and spent the summer after that or about the next year just working odd jobs. But I always knew that I wanted to do something that allowed me to be a little bit more remote, maybe um, be more business oriented because that was something that I was familiar with since I was a kid, opening up lemonade stands, uh, doing landscaping. Like I had my own landscaping business for a while in high school. So I was always very entrepreneurial and I liked the idea of doing something that would allow me to be like a digital nomad or something along those lines. So uh, I started getting into like the affiliate marketing stuff. I realized that you can market products that aren't your own. You don't have to develop anything and you can sell a product for somebody and make a commission out of that. So that really intrigued me. And I I started seeing a lot of these ads and a lot of them were, were um I wouldn't say scam ads, but they were just overhyped, you know, make a million dollars and live in Thailand type of uh, type of advertisement. So I, I bought a couple of those courses. I scrapped up money, bought some courses, and I started learning about like Facebook clicks and how we can buy Facebook advertisements, how we can buy Google AdWords, where if you search something, you can actually like pay to rank up at the top with that little ad sticker. So that whole world really intrigued me. So I started getting into that and I remember starting to uh, build out my first advertisements. And I remember I spent like $5 on Facebook ads and I found some like weight loss product that the company or the course I was taking with, or the course I was taking recommended that I try to sell this product. And it was like clickshare.com or something like that. So I tried to market this product and the product didn't sell. So I was like, okay, now we got to, you know, go back and figure out what went wrong. Why did I waste, you know, my money? And, and I didn't, you know, make, you know, I didn't increase, I guess I wasn't profitable. Like I didn't make any money there. So I started reading up on what I can do to fix that. And I started hearing about landing pages. So I was like, okay, what's a landing page? So turns out a landing page is a page where if somebody goes to your ad, you can make your own custom, like a website where they can land on. It's the first page that they go on and they can see what you're trying to sell. And this way you can customize the message because I was sending them directly to like the affiliate offer. So that goes down uh, another rabbit hole. And I'm like, okay, now I have to, I have to learn how to make websites now, how to build out landing pages. So I started getting into that and I spent a couple of weeks trying to figure out WordPress. There was Weebly, Drupal, I think at the time too. And eventually I settled on Wix. So uh, Wix, I liked it because of its drag and drop features. It was really easy to work with. And I was like, okay, I'm going to practice and I'm just going to pretend like I'm building out like a local business website. So I'm using Wix right now. And uh, I had a buddy that worked at a locksmith company. So he was doing the stuff where basically they would unlock you. You would call the company, they would unlock a house door or a car door and they would pay you for it. So 
I was like, okay, I can make a locksmith website and this way I can practice on how to build websites and see you know, what my design skills are like and what I can do. So I build out this website and how I work or how my brain works is I always go down these rabbit holes. Like anytime I hear something, I just start studying it and I just go and bury my head into that. So uh, I build out this website and I hear about SEO because I was doing more affiliate marketing research and I found out that if you do SEO, which is search engine optimization for anybody that doesn't know that, um, I can rank my website and this way I can get free, uh, free traffic to my affiliate offers. So I was like, okay, I can start doing SEO on this locksmith website and I'll practice on that too. I'll start trying to rank that website because we were on like page 10 or something like that of Google because I just made the website. So I ended up doing SEO on the website and like probably a month and a half of doing that, I kind of got distracted, started doing other stuff, was working on the affiliate stuff and studying. And I ended up getting a call from a number that I didn't realize. And it was somebody that needed their doors unlocked. It was like a car door. They were locked out somewhere at a gas station and they needed somebody to unlock their door. And I was so confused because I didn't even put two and two together that I put my number on that website. So I quickly just, uh, I ended up saying that our techs were busy. I just kind of lied my way through it. I was like, all our techs are busy, but you can go to one of our competitors. So I hang up the phone and I start looking up on Google and we were on page one, like number four or five, like ranked. So I had a website and we were now ranked on Google. So this is all leading up to how I got into code. But uh, basically I realized, okay, I actually can do something with this. So I called my buddy up who was a locksmith and I said, Hey, I can, I can just send traffic your way. Like what if we actually form like an LLC around this and uh, I create like a business name for it and any calls we get, I'll send them to you and I'll just take like a 20% commission or whatever that is. Like, I'll just do that. So we ended up ranking that website and we were making several thousand dollars a month just doing this where I would have sent him the call. He would do the job. I would take my cut and it was really good. So at this point I realized, okay, I have some skill here and I'm 19 at this point. So I'm a young, naive kid. And I was like, okay, I can make a lot of money doing this. So I started like a web development company. I went to local coffee shops, local restaurants, plumbers, construction companies, and I started telling them I can uh, started telling them I can build them a website. So I was doing Wix for a while, and then eventually we went into WordPress, and I started an entire agency around building WordPress websites. And the only coding I knew at that time, because I learned along the way, was HTML and CSS, and that was just to enhance like the themes, the WordPress themes that we were building out. So we started that web development company and eventually I sold that locksmith website. And there's a whole nother story behind that, which we can get into, but long story short, one of our competitors did research on the company and they're wondering why their ranking dropped because we were getting all the traffic now. So they ended up buying out my company and they just started sending the leads to, to uh, whatever their company name was. So they ended up using that for themselves. So at that point, um, I ran that web development company. I was young. So for about two years, we ran that, but I kind of got burnt out and I decided, okay, I want to just take a step back and try maybe just getting a job somewhere because I was working ridiculous hours. A lot of the times I wouldn't pay myself because you're always paying your employees first. And yeah, I just basically cut ties with that and started working as a marketing director at a forensics laboratory. And I was just building out their website along with like my freelance projects that I was still working on. So basically just scaled things down a little bit. So I'm at this company and 
Now this company that I'm working at has this software that we're using. It's a lab. So anytime somebody sends in a sample and we were doing like diesel, gasoline, petroleum products, basically somebody would send in like a jar of diesel and our company would test it. And we would have to enter all this data into, into a system. So basically you would write the report and then that report would go back to a client. It's the same as like a blood test or something like that, that you would deal with at a lab. So that system that they were running on was really outdated. And I always wanted to really get into coding, like more into the full stack part, not just like front end stuff with HTML and CSS. So I decided, okay, um, this system is outdated. My boss was looking for bids and he was getting quotes of like $70,000 or something like that to get a new one built out. So I was like, okay, if I can learn how to code, I can build out the system and then sell it to him or charge him as a service because I was still under like a contractor position there too. It was like part-time job, part-time contractor. So long story short, I taught myself to code, built out the system, managed it for two years and eventually sold it for $41,000. What? So that's like from wanting to get into development to learning how to code and then that entire process. So I don't know how much of that you wanted to hear, but <laughs> no, that's awesome. that summarizes most of the story up until, you know, quitting that job and going to starting to teach on YouTube. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I think it's really cool, very entrepreneurial to sell the website back to the company. I remember seeing that on your YouTube channel and I was like, why? How did you like sell it back to your company? Because, you know, you're an employee or something, but it's definitely like there's a lot of value to them. And I think you said as well, you've said in the past that, you know, you're working on it on your own time and like paying server costs and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So basically, uh, the way that it worked was the company that I was working at was actually one of my clients when I was running that web development company and we did really good work for them. We ended up like between the company and then, and then myself and what I did, I more than doubled their revenue. Right. Like they were at like, they were just under a million dollars a year. And then by the time I left, they were, I think there were upwards of like 3.1 million in revenue yearly after I left there. But uh, he really liked the work that I did. So when I was talking about closing down my company, uh, at the time we weren't close friends, but we, we knew each other pretty well. And he said, hey, why don't you just come work for me and uh, I'll give you more of a stable position. And I was also just getting married too. So I couldn't really deal with this, uh, like the income was unstable. So once you have a wife, you know, once you're paying your mortgage and dealing with all that, your expenses really increase. So I had to take care of that. But yeah, he hired me. So he, he hired me as a contractor and then as that part-time position. So because of that, I was able to build that system like as that contractor position. So I just made sure never to build it on company hours and use all of my own, uh, basically fund everything myself. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really good to highlight for everyone, like how you've learned to code. You don't have a CS degree. You didn't like go to bit camp and you literally just learned on the job very much. Yep. Yep. So HTML and CSS, I learned that from a book. So that was a uh, HTML and CSS by John Duckett. It's a pretty popular book uh, at this point. It's not outdated necessarily. Like there's still a lot of great stuff in it. Like everything that you take from it is still good, but they have added like CSS Flexbox and CSS grids and so on. Uh, after that point, but that was all from a book. And then the rest was just YouTube videos or doing research online, asking questions. And then the, the Python part in Django, that was all YouTube. So I think I took one paid course, but as a whole in my, in my career, I think I probably invested less than like $2,000 in everything. Sure. 
and even that I could have done less than that. Like that was between books and, and trying to get courses. Some of them I didn't even take, but yeah, yeah. no, no schooling. So you've gone from like learning on YouTube to teaching on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. up, which is awesome. It'd be yeah. great to talk about like the freelancing, because I guess a lot of people when they're starting out, maybe they get like a freelance, they're wanting to get into freelancing because that's like very flexible. You can work from anywhere, you can work from home. And also, I guess it's quite an easier way maybe to get into into like paid coding rather than getting like a full-time mm -hmm. job. Um, but what are like, say if someone wants to, for instance, design like a website for a cafe. And I think you actually had this situation recently where you're talking to someone and you just said, hey, I'll make you a website or something. But yeah, how, how would you recommend someone go about that? So as far as like getting, getting their first mm -hmm. clients, right? Yeah, so there's prerequisites to it. Like some of the disclaimers in freelancing is that uh, it's not as fun in the beginning as a lot of people think when it comes to what you're actually doing. Like you'll spend more time in client relations, uh, invoicing clients, trying to go out door to door or phone calls, whatever you're trying to do. Um, but for me, yeah, it was uh, it was working with a with my inner circle, I guess. Like I, I I was pretty familiar with a lot of people in my town. And uh, I would go out to coffee shops a lot and I would network in like, what do you call those chamber of commerce mm -hmm. meetings. So I would just go anywhere where there were business owners. And instead of just trying to sell my service, I would just get to know people. And, and only if I found out that I can be an asset to them is the only time I would actually pitch them. So the first thing is, is you need to talk a lot. And uh, if you're working remote, there's ways to do it. Like what you're doing right now with uh, no CS degree. Like if you started advertising that I do freelance work now, uh, you would probably be able to land clients better than somebody starting out from square one because you now have a following and um, you're able to to do something with that and get some kind of attention. But for me, it was just word of mouth, talking to people and just networking like crazy. And that's kind of the funny thing is once you get your first clients, it gets a little bit easier after that because if you keep if you can keep your clients happy, that's where the referrals start coming in. So getting the first clients is probably the hardest thing. And then after that is where things really start rolling. But it takes a lot of patience. Sometimes you'll go months without landing a new client and then you'll get five in a single month. So everyone's, everyone's situation is going to be a bit different. Awesome. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, thanks for the tip. I might, I might just put out a tweet tonight <laughs> saying, hey, I'm freelancing now. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. Um, what do you think that developers can do to like stand out more and make more unique project. Cause I know obviously when you were learning Django, you made this kind of this website for the laboratory you're working at. So how could, I mean, obviously that's really different to a lot of people's kind of cookie cutter projects that beginners start out with. So do you have any opinions on that? Yeah. So my situation was different. So that's where it's not really relatable to to the average person, I guess, not the average person, but the, the average situation. Mm -hmm. What I would recommend, because I've actually, I've hired developers before, so I know what I would look for. And uh, I was actually on a Twitter spaces talk and somebody asked about this and they're basically saying, how can I stand out? And one of the, the first things that I would look for is any form of customizations like in this hiring process. And this is what I'm recommending. So anything that can be built with your own mind, not following like a tutorial, not something that's been done a thousand times, something that's unique and that can actually, um, that can start a conversation. So one example I brought up, and this is a very simplistic example. 
So if you take a to-do app to an interview, it depends on what they're inter interviewing for. Like if I'm just looking for somebody that can just make some adjustments to our website and maybe like I can give just a list of tasks to, a to-do app might work, but I'm not gonna be impressed by it. But what if you took that to-do app and you made yourself a shopping list because you always forget what you need at the grocery store and you're tired of all the other platforms out there. Um, what if you made yourself that and then you allowed your friends to use it too? So now when you take the same to-do app or shopping list application and you take it to an interview, you don't tell them that it's a to-do app. You say that this is, um, this is an application that me and my friends use to remind ourselves about certain events and it has these customizations and these features. Now as an interviewer, even though the application is pretty simple, it probably has basic operations like create, update, and delete, that kind of functionality. Uh, it's now unique because your friends use it because it has a user base and it's something that you actually cared about. So if I can see that this is actually a used application, I can ask you about it. Do your friends like it? What, 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 like, does it, does it have reminder like features? Um, have you customized it for each friend? Is there anything about this application that makes it cool? Why do they use it over any other note taking application? So my point here is even the simplest applications, try to make them your own and make it something that you thought up of, even if it's not a revolutionary idea, because that's what I try staying away from. Cause a lot of people will say, well, your portfolio needs to be with either projects for clients or something that's very unique. Well, a lot of people when they're just starting out, aren't that good of developers. So it's hard to build something unique if you're just trying to figure out how to code. So make something that's not so unique, but unique to you and then add your own features to it. Now, another tip, I guess, if you're trying to get a job and you were able to get some freelancing clients, do show those because that's something that tells an employer that you're responsible, that you can communicate with clients and deliver an end product. Uh, so I don't know if that answered no, your question. that's awesome. That's a really good answer. <laughs> I think as well, it kind of, when I was learning Django, uh, it kind of, yeah, it kind of blew my mind when I would I do like one I was like, watch one tutorial about, I know, like making a blog. And then it's like, oh, I could totally like repackage this code into make it like looks completely different. And it's the same kind of basic structure. So, and I think as well, there's lots of, I know I've got lots of friends that are like successful entrepreneurs and they say like, oh yeah, it's really, my website's really just like, I know product hunt, but I've just changed a few things. and. People don't get that it, it looks different, but it's the same like functionality underneath the hood. Yeah, exactly my point. So um, if you took the the tutorial application of what Product Hunt was, let's say somebody built out a clone. If you take that to a meeting, somebody's not gonna be that impressed because they know that you just followed somebody. But when you made your own, it's the same product technically, but with a completely different spin. It's all about how you package it. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you like, you've done some work with uh, Brad Traversy. So yeah, do you have like a course on Udemy or something with him? Yeah, I saw Brad actually make a, a Mernstack course where he built out like an e-commerce website and he used Node.js and React on the front end. Well, I was actually making that same course. I actually posted a couple of tweets about it and on my YouTube channel uh, about making an e-commerce website using React and Django. So when I saw Brad uh, come out with his course, like probably a month before I was about to release mine. I looked at that and I was like, okay, the design is really cool. Um, I also would love the, I'd love to use Brad's network and I guess Brad's built in structure to his code and his course. And why not just duplicate it? And I, we're obviously working together. We're splitting commissions 50, 50 on that because he built out half of that. But I basically decided how cool would it be to build out the same application, but using 
Django's API rather than Node.js. So this way, if somebody wants to, because I've actually had students take that course and say, I've built it in Node.js and now in Django, and it's really cool to see the comparisons because you're able to see how two different frameworks build out the same product. So we collaborated on that, different backend, same front end, same exact code uh, for all the components and design, but yeah, using Django. So that was, uh, that was pretty fun to do. And I was able to see how somebody else structures their code because I've always been the lead in my projects. So it was nice to, I guess, go under Brad's wing and, and work that yeah, out. Yeah, awesome. And yeah, no, it's really good to see like YouTubers partnering together as well. Do you have any other favorite YouTube developers that we should know about? Yeah, so uh, Justin Mitchell from Coding Coding Entrepreneurs now, it used to be for Coding for Entrepreneurs, definitely one of my favorite. Uh, we probably have the most in common as far as our style. We're both very uh, entrepreneurial first, and then we like to code, like we like to use code to solve problems. We're not obsessed with the code itself. I would say him, um, Sendex, so Harrison, I think his okay. name was, definitely somebody that I enjoy watching too, and Caleb Curry too, just because of his relaxed demeanor on on camera I really like his style one. yeah i've actually mm -hmm. been getting into the coding for entrepreneurs youtube channel recently and i think i had a problem with some code in django and i couldn't like figure it out and then went on his channel and found the solutions so it's like ah oh, awesome <laughs> so yeah, yeah i think i sent a tweet or something saying like oh check this guy out because yeah it's really good yeah. and i think as well it's really good to see both of you have like take more of a entrepreneur attitude to like coding tutorials because I guess like people like myself, you know, not everyone wants to work for like big tech or Google or, you know, something like that. Lots of people are yeah. like, okay, how do I make, you know, how do I make a website that can make money for me personally? So that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was going to say like, you've got this YouTube channel, which has, grown like a huge amount since I've known you. Like I interviewed you on the Nocestry website like maybe about a year ago or more. So I kept on checking your YouTube and it was like 5,000, then 10,000, then it was like 50,000. So yeah, should, why should developers be on YouTube? And like, do you have any like tips on like how you grew your channel so fast? Yeah, so there's a couple of things to that. So the first thing is if developers should be on YouTube, um, I think every developer, if you're able to and you want to just break out of your comfort zone, I think it'll benefit everybody. I think you should go into it with the intention that this is just to build up my skill set, maybe learn how to communicate a little bit better. Because when you're when you're teaching, you're having to communicate, but you're also having to know what you're teaching. So I've noticed like, I'll learn something and then not until I start teaching it. It's like, oh, wow, maybe I didn't understand it as well as I thought. So I think everybody can benefit from it. Now, the only thing with this is that it seems like a lot of people want to start a YouTube channel just to be on YouTube and eventually uh, you know, be a big YouTuber or whatever the objective is. Now, that is going to be a whole different story because there's a lot of, I guess, it's, I'm not going to say there's a lot of competition. It's, it's a difficult thing to do. It's hard to be successful in. So if you can start it as something that that's a side project and just say, hey, I'm going to put out content for myself and we'll just see how this thing goes. I'm not just going to quit my job and try to do this full time and then get disappointed when my video only gets 10 views. You know, you should go into it with the objective that you're going to have fun with it and that this is something that maybe a future employer can look at. Somebody can maybe get some help from this. Somebody can find your video and actually learn something from it. So 
I think everybody should do it because you're just going to develop a lot of skills. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to become a good communicator. Um, now, as far as the, the channel itself, like how far do you want to go into this? Because there's a, there's a whole story behind it. And then there's the, the strategy too. Cause I did have a strategy that played out probably to the T okay. like everything that kind of happened. It, there were things that just kind of like ran away from me in the sense of like, it took off and I was like, wow, this is crazy. But most of the, most of what happened was very planned out. Let's get it. Um, even if it did get a little bit crazier. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's so, someone that's starting a YouTube channel. <laughs> if it could help, if you can sure. tell me this like grand strategy of you. Cool. So, okay. So my approach was this, there's a, I was looking at YouTubers. So the, ever since I started learning from YouTubers, I, I wanted to do it. Like I, from day one, my first YouTube video, as far as like learning how to code, I was like one day when I get good enough, I want to be like this. And this was Justin Mitchell at the time. So he's like, I got a history with him. So I've always wanted to do that. So I just knew, okay, once I learn, I'll give myself a years of experience and then we'll go with it. And by the time I decided to, to quit that job, um, I kind of had to decide, do I get a, another job or do I go and try to do something else, maybe freelance or go on YouTube in this case. So I had some cash and I decided, let's just start with YouTube. Let's see what we can survive on, me and my wife. Let's take that $40,000 plus the savings that we had and let's try to last as long as possible. And then if I run out of money, don't make any money on YouTube, we'll, uh, we'll just go get a job. So when I started that, the approach was this. Okay, so I'm not too charismatic. I don't have like a crazy personality. In fact, I was insanely awkward and shy on camera, especially in my first videos. So I was like, okay, I can't go for entertaining content. I don't really have that good of advice to give, but what I do know is, is my code. I do know how to at least teach the basics of it, even though I didn't feel too experienced. So because of my marketing background and my SEO skills, I thought, okay, if I can go and find content that are, that people are searching up. So like I can do keyword research on, um, let's see, uh, Django beginner courses. What is Django? Things like that. Basically things people are looking up on YouTube. If I can make content and tutorials based around that, uh, I can get in front of this audience and then maybe start slowly growing my subscriber base. So the plan was this, make those tutorials, make a course, build out a foundation for my channel. I wasn't going to worry about who watches this. If I get 10 views, that's fine. If I get a thousand, even better. So I spent like three months just putting out one big tutorial, the one that you mentioned, that CRM course. And then I had a couple of small projects with that, like a to-do app, a personal website. So some uh, simple little things here. So that was kind of the strategy. I wasn't really planning to grow, but those videos, because I optimized them the right way, I used the right keywords, the good, um, the right headlines and thumbnails. That's also very, very important. Probably like one of the most important parts is your thumbnails and titles. Um, I got some traction and I ended up like within a three month span getting to a thousand subscribers all on SEO traffic. YouTube just started ranking my videos because people were looking it up and then they would watch it. And then YouTube would obviously check the watch time, the click through rate and so on and rank it. Now the second strategy, even from day one is I always knew that I wanted to do talking head videos, videos where I sit in front of a camera and I give you, you know, five tips, how to become a better developer, stuff like that. So I always knew I wanted to do that, even though I wasn't good on camera because I just felt very insecure and uh, I guess I'm not good on camera and I wanted to break out of that. Like anything that I'm not good at, I always want to get good at. That's just part of my personality. It's my ego. If you tell me that I'm not a fast runner, well, I'm just going to get good at running fast. Like that's my style. So I was like, okay, if I start doing the talking head videos too early, no one's going to watch them. They're going to think, who the hell is this kid giving me advice? And they're just going to stop watching or they won't, they won't even click on it. 
But if I build up tutorials, people become very comfortable with you after watching your tutorials. Like I, I was telling Justin Mitchell, I did a live stream with him. You're in my ear for you know, three hours a day. Like I start getting really familiar with who you are and I feel like you almost know me. Like, you, like you've watched my tutorials, you'll, you'll hear me for hours and hours and you almost build like a relationship even with a person that you don't know. So if I can get an audience watching my tutorials and then if I put out a talking head video giving advice, people now know who I am, at least a small base. I have some kind of audience that will watch it. So that was the idea, put out tutorials and put out talking head videos and just see how that works. And then maybe later on do collaborations and live streams. Well, I think about April is when I put out that 40K video. That was like my first talking head video. And I actually wanted to do that back in, I wanted to do that back in November actually. I wanted to make that video. But I knew that if I released it too early, it might not get the traction because I don't have the audience. And then if people go to my channel, they won't subscribe because I have no other content. So it's kind of like advertising uh, like an empty department store, right? You can put out a billboard, say, here's our department store, off exit one here, check it out. And then they come in and there's nothing in there. So I wanted people to check out my channel and then subscribe to it after because they see that I have more content. So that was kind of the approach was tutorials, talking head videos, and then share my story. So um, that was, I guess, the strategy. There was more to it, I guess. We can go into details there, into specifics, but the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, that's that's really that's really awesome, man. I think as well, it's great that you you're very public by going outside of your comfort zone, and I guess taking like the like immersion therapy. You know, like I used to be for a while, I was scared of flying, and then I was like, I'm just gonna like yeah, just fly tons, or like if you're if you're just scared of yeah. like I know going on the ski lift, if you go on the ski lift like repeatedly then you won't be scared anymore but it's kind of like it's hard because it, it's a hard thing to tell people because you have to go through whatever that thing you're terrified of but if you do things yeah. enough it's like yeah if someone records like a youtube video every day for a month i'm pretty sure they're going to be comfortable with making youtube videos you'll improve yeah you'll improve in some areas maybe your video won't, itself won't get better but you'll find yourself more comfortable at video 15 than you were at video number one like there's something in your brain that says okay this is familiar to us now we've, we've done this before and it still could be tough that next time but something in your brain is developing and it's letting you know that this is familiar but that's really good tips by like growing youtube did you use like any tools like rfs and stuff like that you say, did you say RFs? Uh, that? I, so what I did use is a, is a tool called um, Google Keyword Planner. Okay. So uh, basically, Google has about, I would say, almost 70% more traffic than YouTube alone. Like if you look up a question on YouTube, that same question on Google is probably searched more. I feel like people instinctively just go to Google over YouTube, even though YouTube is a huge search engine. So because I, I've done SEO, I would always use a keyword planner. So like if I'm going to... Uh, freelance like for a coffee shop right like I told you about that one example um, I would sit down and I would go to Google Keyword Planner and then I would set my location to let's say like a 20 mile radius and I would type in the word uh, coffee shop and then my city so that always gave me an indication of what the traffic is for that specific keyword so when I when it came to YouTube yeah I used a, a lot of keyword research um, I checked out the type of content that was big too at the same time I wanted to make something unique too so I didn't want to do too much of what was already out there but uh doing stuff like that google trends didn't really help it was more of just that keyword planner was probably the biggest thing 
Um, I did actually buy ads too. So on YouTube, have you ever seen those thumbnails that have like an ad sticker? Yeah, so I bought a couple of ads there and that also had to be strategic because I can't just like advertise my YouTube channel. Hey, check out Dennis mm. Ivey's videos. That wasn't what I wanted to do, but what I what I advertised was Django, um, a Django beginner's crash course. So you people would see an ad for Django and the only time this ad showed up was whenever somebody either typed in the keywords of Django, anything that, that had to do with Django and I obviously had to unlist certain words for Django Unchained the movie because I didn't want my ad running yeah. for that. <laughs> um, and I also, what a lot of people don't know is I also went to Brad Traversi's videos, Justin Mitchell's videos, and you can actually grab like a video, right? Let's say somebody has a crash course on Django or let's say JavaScript, we'll just use something like that. So I can find a JavaScript crash course, type in that exact URL into my browser or uh, into, into Google AdWords, and my ads will only play on that video. So you can actually specify what video you want your ads to show. So if somebody's watching a crash course on JavaScript, then they see Dennis Ivey's JavaScript crash course video in the, in the right hand side as a recommended video. So I got All a right. lot of traffic that way. I probably had a budget of about $500 a month. It wasn't anything big, but um, collectively it really bumped up my subscriber account because people were watching that and then they would start watching the playlist. So there are things you can do in the beginning to just give yourself that extra push because on day one, if you have no social media platform that you can post to, uh, it's hard. It's like swimming upstream. There's nothing you can really do with this. So there's ways that you can kind of propel yourself. And then eventually I stop the ads because it's just all organic. Awesome. This is getting really meta, but how would you title this video then? So here's the thing. Um, I do get traffic to my name, which is weird. People look up Dennis Ivey and it's like a couple thousand searches a month on YouTube. But uh, what I would do is instead of targeting that word is I would find something that we said in this video or like a theme mm -hmm. to it. So for example, the, the catchy one is, you know, the 40K title. Yeah. Um, I would say something about that. If we, we went into freelancing a little bit, I would, I would either clip those sections or I would just try to section it around that or maybe say like from, you know, from landscaper to developer, stuff like that that's catchy mm -hmm. to people, but it's not... That's also not that search friendly though, either. That's kind of the- I know you've done some videos about imposter syndrome. And I guess the whole thing about like Ms. Yesterday is like I interviewed developers that are self-taught or have been to boot camps. You know, it's not people that have been coding since they're, you know, six years old or anything. And lots of people I talked to, you know, weren't like seriously into like computers as, as kids or anything like that. So yeah, do you have any, do you have any tips on dealing with imposter syndrome? That's probably the hardest question for me to answer because the way I dealt with it, like I don't really have a solution. I just kind of like, I, I do have it. I can't deny it, but um, I just don't, I'm, I just become less concerned about what, what people think. Like if for one, one example, I guess why you might even have it is that uh, you might be competing with somebody that you feel is much more skilled than you, or you took on a job that you feel like was too big. So the only solution there is to, is to be careful in the type of jobs you take. Don't take on a, a, a task or a freelance project that is way out of your scope. Like you should still try to be uncomfortable, but try to navigate in your lane, but just step out just enough to where you can you can try to try to expand your thinking. Like you don't want to stay in your lane and only what you're, what you're comfortable with, but try to break out break out of it. And I just feel like time really like once you start hearing other developers talk, start seeing other experiences you'll notice that we're all kind of dealing with the same thing. So for me, it was just time and just trying to 
yeah, just getting more comfortable with myself, I guess. That, that was, yeah, that, that, that's a tough one because I remember like there were, there were people that were competing for the same bid when I, uh, when I built that website for the company. Like I was by far the least qualified person because I just spent two months learning how to code, right? Like there's real developers competing. And the way I won that, that contract was, hey, I know our system. I know our company system. I'm your inside man. I can get this done just because I know how the operation works. And in this case, luckily, the company didn't really know what my skill set was. They just kind of went with me. But I felt super unqualified. And yeah, like, I don't know if I ever got over that. I just dealt with it. I always kind of felt like somebody was watching over my shoulder. Like if I mess up, some better developer is going to come in and just expose me. But yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean... I don't know if I have the best no, answer. No worries. I mean, like, mm -hmm. uh, the honest answer is the best answer. And I think as well, mm -hmm. I guess, like, because you're doing all these coding tutorials, I guess my view with imposter syndrome is that the more, if you just kind of, like, get on with it and the more you do it, it will become less of a problem. But also, also yeah. as well, like, because I, I've literally, like, interviewed, like, 100 devs now or more than that, like, everyone like has this it's not even just people without cs degrees i know people that did like computer science at college they didn't learn anything about how to code had to code like after their degree which seems like insane to yeah. me and yeah i think like yeah i don't i think it's something that everyone goes through i think leaving your ego at the door really helps like that's one thing that's helped me is that even though we can all feel insecure about something, if you are not trying to prove yourself, I mean, you're not trying to prove that you're better, um, you'll, uh, you'll be able to learn from it and you'll just kind of deal with it. So for example, like I have so many comments in my tutorials about how to do something better. And that was something that scared me. What if I'm not teaching the right way? And I do try to do my research and, and show the best way, but I'll get a solution in, in the comment section. And what I'll do is instead of replying or ignoring, leading, whatever, I'll reply and say, thank you for that tip. I'll actually try to implement that in my next video. So I have my own students calling me out on mistakes that I've made. And that seems like the worst thing, right? Like that's where imposter syndrome should kick in because I'm teaching you. But in this case, I openly let people know, hey, I'm learning with you guys. Like when I learn, you learn, or what I learn, you learn. Like I'm just gonna share my information and uh, let's let's learn together. So if I make a mistake, I'll try to fix it later. I'll try to put out another video and we'll just go on with it. So if, I, if I'm able to put my ego aside and say that I'm not going to be insecure, I'm not going to get offended when somebody calls me out, I think that's going to help you a lot. And that's in the job too. Like if somebody criticizes your code, take it. Yeah. Like try to embrace that because that's going to make you a better developer. Yeah, I think it's really good uh, in this sense to have like a really a growth mindset and just like use these tips and like get treat these like tips and feedback as a way to improve and not like as a personal criticism so so i know that you've been like working remotely like for a long time now so can you tell us like is that like a, one of the main like benefits of coding for you yeah so um I remember when I was still, uh, when I had the company, that was a little bit tougher. I had to be hands-on because I was interacting with the clients. But once I went more into that freelance position, I was actually able to, what you would call fire a lot of clients. So that means that clients that might be a little bit of a pain to work with, what I would do is I would just recommend them to other freelancers, basically take their, their position and I would cut them loose from their contract and say, hey, I can hand you over to someone else or you can just go deal 
um, find someone if you want. So yeah, working remotely, like once I was able to do that and when I was still working at that company, building out that system, even though it wasn't always the best, uh, traveling was definitely a huge plus. Like with my wife, we would go to like Vegas for like a month. Like we, we, we used to go there for like a month at a time, maybe two, three times a year. Like, right. And we have family there. So it wasn't like we were up in a, you know, in a hotel or something like that. We would do that for a couple of nights, get a, get a couple of nights at the Cosmopolitan or something. But yeah, traveling, working remote, like there's a, definitely a schedule that you have to find because it is hard to, to stay focused. Like right now, I'm fully remote and I have the beach two minutes away from me and it's 75 outside. Like it's kind of hard to focus sometimes because, you know, you, it's tempting to do that. So finding that rhythm, but being able to travel and uh, my wife is a designer. So always working with her and doing this from anywhere in the world. Like we go to Greece, we go to San Diego, wherever we want to go. We just take our work and continue our business. And we're gone for three, six months out of the year sometimes, like awesome. barely at home. Even. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty it's cool. It's going to be so great as well when like the, yeah, COVID situation gets better and people can, you can get back to like traveling around the world and stuff. Because I guess for me, coding is one of the things that's so great about it is you can just do it from anywhere and you can really like yeah live, like make a good like salary or make a good living and then live somewhere like far cheaper, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Like whether that's freelancing or a job, like there's a lot of jobs that will allow you to do that. And in this case, the caveat is your your skill level, though, too. Like you, it's pretty hard to start as a as a junior developer somewhere and get a remote position. Yeah. But when you're when you have a skill that like, I've had companies reach out to me begging to to have to you know to come and, and help build them out this specific part of their application. And at that point, because I have a certain skill set. I'm able to negotiate that. I don't want to go into your office. I'll fly in for a meeting. I'll see what you guys are about. I'll see what needs to be done, meet your techs, but I'm out on the road. In that case, they'll even, they'll offer you more pay to work with them and they'll also have to fit within your skill set. So the, the, the more you can develop your, your talent, the more valuable you can be, uh, the more likely you're going to be able to do that. Even if a company doesn't want to, like my boss did not like me working remote. He hated it. And I, I was able to tell him, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm not coming in for any meetings. So we're going to be able to set these up. I'm in this time zone. And because of that leverage, I was able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think like, uh, yeah, I think that's like just another bonus for learning to code. So like, I for guess sure. I was wondering if, say if you're talking to a buddy or just like a random person and they're like maybe interested like in learning to code. How would you how would you sell them on learning code? What are the benefits? Oh boy, I do this all the time. I'm, I'm still trying to convince everybody in my family. <laughs> I've tried to get so many people into it. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting. Like I, I guess the best thing you can do is is live your lifestyle, and then they'll see it. Like I get more people asking me questions now that they see certain lifestyles because, and it's not like I live a glamorous lifestyle, but they're wondering why I'm able to do what I do. And, and you know traveling and, and doing certain things that kind of sells it to them but that's the financial benefit and maybe the the remote position but um i always uh, i always look at their personality and and i i like to only advise it to people that i can see that are very patient or that i see can stick to a certain task and really want to accomplish something and, and accomplish it at you know at, at whatever the cost is if i see that then i can go through the benefits of it because there's a lot of benefits but as far as like the going through the skill set. If I see somebody that that likes to build things, that's you know, that's creative. Like that's where I really like to 
encourage them because that's what coding is. Like it's like solving a riddle every single day. Like I never go a day just, and I never go a single day, or I probably don't, um, just by accomplishing every single task. It's usually I start my day, I have this on my schedule, and then my schedule gets screwed up because I ran into this bug and now I'm having to solve this riddle. So you're always having to do stuff, but the creativity of it, being able to build something that can be reached by anybody, stuff like that. Like, I don't know, I'm kind of going all over the place, but uh, yeah, I would say the benefits are for sure the the, the flexibility and the creativity and be able being able to work with your, your brain and actually do something. Yeah. Like build yeah, something. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And um, do you think, are there any kind of common mistakes that you think beginners make when they're learning to code? Common mistakes. Um, without going into too much detail, um, I responded to a tweet. Um, Maxime Ivanov actually has the same last name as me. Posted, uh, what would you, what's something that you did in the beginning that you never do now? And I, uh, I responded and I said, never blame the code. So the common mistake I see is beginners that do something and they, they'll look through their code. At a, I can't even count how many times I've gotten this email where they say, I've read through my code a thousand times and everything looks fine and I, I like within two seconds right there there's your problem you you capitalize this letter when it wasn't supposed to be you misnamed this variable anytime you're working with something always blame your yourself not the code or not the library because there are cases where there might be a bug in a certain library but there's a good chance that if you're the beginner there's people that are much smarter than you that built out that library or that specific package and you're just doing something wrong with it if there's a bug and you think there's no bug, there probably is. Just give yourself time to relax, go through it again, maybe rewrite that code, but don't get frustrated with the code itself because I remember doing that. I've done this, I've, I've looked through it, I, I don't see any mistakes. Oh, Python indentation error. Like, and I wouldn't read the bug, the, the, the console either. I wouldn't read out the errors or the terminal. And I would just assume that I did everything right. This stupid, you know, text editor is not interpreting my code correctly. Something else is wrong here. Yeah, no, that's... But the second you blame yourself, you can fix that's it. That's really good advice. That's cool. Um, yeah, I know that you're working on like a new project for a YouTube channel, which is an open source like social network project. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, I was, I'm working on a new Django Beginners course just for YouTube. I want to update my last one. And I also had this... Uh, Eddie Giroud was recommending, I think that's his last name. Um, he's all into open source and GitHub. So he was trying to, he was recommending that I try to create an open source project. And I always liked the idea because a lot of my students want to build something with me. I've, I've had that request and I just, I have a lot of fears about it and I don't want to do it for many reasons. There could be, I can imagine a whole ton of issues going on with that. So I kind of, I caved, I guess, because this is one of those things. I'm scared of it. Now my ego says I have to do it. So I decided, okay, what if I took my my open source project and I built like a social network that would be a combined stack overflow with like a Reddit type of mix. And it took away some of the things that I hate about social networks. Um, Instagram, for example, in promoting, I guess, self, promoting yourself, I guess, I don't know, this, the selfie world that kind of bothers me. I'm like, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of the tech Twitter posts where we're voting on a language and stuff like that but it's all based on helpful things where somebody either has a question and instead of a like or a dislike, we can do helpful or um, not helpful, something like that. Like that's how we would respond. And we'll create the social network based around helping each other answer questions, providing tips, and uh, 
yeah, I was just going to make that project open source, put it up there, see what happens with it, and then make the tutorial leading up to that so people can see how it was built, at least the first version of it, and then just do a vlog style uh, series on that and just always talk about it, update it. Maybe we'll create a Discord group and start interacting with the community more. I really want to see who I've worked with because it's impressive seeing students that started off from square one, watch my videos, and now a year later, I see their applications whenever I do get to see them. And they're, they're amazing. They're building cool stuff. So it's like, I want to go full cycle with these people and cycle. I sounded like I said psycho. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I want to go full cycle and, and see the, them actually put their skills into practice. And then when they're going and applying for that job, maybe they're trying to get a freelancing gig or a job. Now they can say, I've worked on this application. That can be something that's in their resume. So yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of it. It's really scary to me. But let's just do it. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a, I guess it's been a bit of a theme in this interview about doing things you're scared of and getting out of your yeah. comfort zone. So yeah, I'll be really looking forward to checking that out. Um, yeah, I think that's everything for the show. I just want to say as well, like I've really enjoyed your YouTube videos. It helped me a lot with learning Django. So it's been really cool to chat to you today. And I think it's... Thank you. That makes me very happy yeah, to hear that. Yeah, no worries. You did a text interview on nocs3.com like about a year ago but yeah it's really good to chat to you today we've been able to go into like way more detail uh where can people find out about you more on the internet so uh i'm on youtube mostly that's my main platform dennis ivy it's in the name of that sticks here in the video and same thing on twitter i think it's at dennis ivy one one uh twitter is where i just post my more i guess natural thoughts like i try to I don't really try to grow the platform or anything like that. I just try to get interactive. But yeah, Twitter and YouTube. Okay. Um, I have a Facebook account. I don't use that. I, Facebook's gotten so outdated for me. I don't know. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> yeah, I try and yeah, I try and stay off. But well, I actually keep things separate. So I've, like Facebook's kind of like my uh, IRL, kind of like all my like friends I know in my hometown and everything and stuff like that. And then mm. Twitter is like my tech and like tech friends so i i like to keep my world worlds sense. apart <laughs> but um yeah thanks again for being on the show and yeah check out dennis ive on youtube and yeah thanks for listening